Artcast, your weekly podcast for insight into the decks to play at FNM, cards to buy and sell, and insight from Robert Martin and Channel Fireball's own Christian Sean Gregson. It's time for Hardcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a uh, a new episode of the Hardcast. What seems like forever since we've been here, but uh, Robert, it's good to hear your voice. It's been quite a while. How are you doing? Doing wonderful, unlike yourself, who's been halfway around the world having a tremendous experience. Uh, I, I wouldn't call it unlike myself. Uh, I am much, you know, I'm much better. If we were to have this conversation about a week or so ago, and we'd probably be doing it at about four in the morning, and I probably would have slept about four hours before, and I'd probably be telling you everything about yen and the conversion rates, because that's where my mind was at. But I'm, I'm pretty much back to the United States kind of mindset at this point. I don't feel, uh, like I'm gorging myself when I go to food and order because I don't have to order twice as much as I did in Japan. So I'm 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 back on home court and feeling it at this point again. Like I, I now now to bring it up, I kind of well not doing a show like a half ago when I was very strung out, but now it's much more. You know, all the information you're getting here is much is much more thought out and and far less off the cuff. Well, considering when I checked the website, how quickly you had. The Japanese foils up on the site. I'm still going through a stack of sort, a sorting tray on my desk that has a lot of good stuff in it um, that still needs to be posted on the website. So look for more stuff to come in the immediate future. I, but uh, some of some of them went up there. I, I know we came home with like eight foil Japanese Karn Liberateds and probably a, a dozen Mirren Crusader and Phyrexian Crusader foil Japanese cards as well. And uh, there's some there's some good stuff up there now. Since we last talked, we had. Apollo winning, we had Owen making top eight, we had LSV making a top eight, leading his team to win the Community Cup, and then topping it off by winning Grand Prix Kansas City. A bunch of the other team making top 16s, and Tom Martell almost making top 16 twice, and it's been a tremendous run for Team Fireball. Talking to Luis, over the course of the trip, it's, you know, there's never been a leg where it anyone felt like it was a failure, or they weren't prepared enough, or they you know hadn't tested enough, and... You know, while they they did feel like it was not exactly a cop out, but kind of a disappointment that they had to play the the obvious deck at the Pro Tour. Um, you know, the, the right decision was made, and uh, you know, results show that. I mean, at this point, I think that the majority of the Magic community is in a is in a great spot right now because you get all the the tournament reports, all of the you know information that you hadn't seen on the sites for a while as players come back and they write their reports, their synopsises, their thoughts looking forward. I mean, it's going to be an interesting time for Scars Block Limited from this point out because the top names, especially Luis, who I, I joked earlier today that I was like, well, you've, you've got to be considered the the best Scars Limited player in the world, hands down. He's like, huh. you know, I went 3-4 at the Pro Tour and I went 1-2 at the Community Cup. He's like, I still don't think I have the best handle on the format. He's still so like badass is the person to look at. I mean, he's 6-0'd the Pro Tour and has still had a great record in draft. And Seal's a little bit more of a crapshoot. He, he talks, but we actually talk about that a little bit on Magic TV this week. It's interesting to see how the format evolves, and even if you go back and watch his uh, draft cap with Brian David Marshall from the Pro Tour, and then uh, his newer, like we're just posting draft videos from him now, his his views have already changed from what he was drafting at the Pro Tour. It is amazing how quickly, based on how much you play, when you like something, and then all suddenly you do it, and then the draft comes up again, and you're like, I'd like to try this architect because I saw such and such a player play it against me, and it looked better. Oh, I think it's, uh, it also denotes a very healthy format, uh, a strong format. If it's it's not just 
you know, black and white. It's not just obvious and not. I mean, if you you could already think back to just triple stars of mirrored and limited. It was like if you're drafting infect, you're you know what colors you are. You know that when you get a pack past you, it's pretty obvious what card or cards you're interested in taking. Um, and that was it. It was very cut and dry, very black and white. It was very obvious. And in the current you know limited format. Um, you know, it's 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 evolved, and I think a lot of new strategies, a lot of different strategies, a lot of different styles are going to be, you know, not only cultivated out of it, but rewarded, and uh, you know, other people have to adapt. I mean, Luis himself, again, the, it's it's the best example because he's the most in the public eye when it comes to drafting. Is like, you know, I used to be such a huge fan of Hexblade Gollum. Used to think the format was slow enough where it always kind of came down to big six through eight casting cost monsters that would be just be bigger than the board and. You know, obviously from his uh, top eight, or not, no, sorry, the deck he drafted in the last pod before the top eight in uh, Kansas City, you know, it was a more of a tempo-ish deck. I mean, you're taking advantage of the unsummoned cards in the format, and um, he gives a lot more credit to the aggressive strategies, the different strategies, than he would have uh, three weeks ago. It showed, especially in that final match, when you think you use going to play something, and all suddenly, nope, goes back away, or gets countered, or puts away, and you could just see how... Every time he was playing a card, it's like he was expecting Luis to do something to it. There's almost like he's going to play it, but there's like hesitation to it. And it seemed like every time that came up, Luis had an answer. It was, and of course, Tom Martell did a great job in the booth, showing no allegiance to Channel Fireball or no allegiance to the United States as he's chanting "Go Luis" as loud as he can and rooting for the USA. <laughs> <laughs> I did miss that, but I, I'm glad to see that. Um Tom is back to his own form. We spent uh, a great many hours sharing plane rides all around the globe uh, the week after the Pro Tour, so I'm, I'm glad that uh, he was not as strung out as we all felt when we finally made it back to uh, Northern California. Well, why don't you give the people a little insight on what it was like for you to go to Nagoya? I mean, I, get, I feel like my, my stories would have to be so unexciting. I mean, I don't get to play. I mean, I, I can tell you about the venue. I mean, it was in a... It wasn't in a commercial area. I mean, that was obvious for restaurant reasons. I think it was funny when, um, you know, people I knew, I, I was sitting at the booth early Thursday morning, but people I knew kind of, like, circled the area around us, and it was mostly, like, residential homes, some used car parking lots, um, and one Circle Kmart, which became pretty much the main food hub for every single person who could find it there. Uh, and very quickly we were... We were emptying whatever they had on the shelves to be able to eat over the course of the days. Um, but, you know, Japan, it was extremely fun to go out there. It was a very different experience to uh, buy and sell cards out there. Um, the players are looking for different things. And it's, you know, it's funny, you know, in the States, Japanese foils are worth exorbitantly more than English foils or Spanish foils or German foils or any of these other things. Um, in Japan... It's it's funny because the players like kind of you know kind of have a general sense of that and kind of value things a little higher and but a lot of them are still like you know I, I I get these cards a lot more readily accessible than anyone else does. They're just excited to be offered more for them, uh, which was which is what we were doing obviously. So I think a, a lot of them were were happy to make the trades. It was it was funny to watch people that I interacted with as far as commerce goes because it was usually the Europeans who are the either the most aggravated or confused uh, you know because they're Everyone's kind of the universal currency for magic cards is the dollar, mm -hmm. and for so many people they don't really even think about it because they live in the United States or even Canada. You know, the dollar is still pretty easy to deal with. 
Um, but you don't think, like, well, the game is printed in, in the United States. The, the major websites are um, United States websites. So kind of the, um, you know, the marker for the entire market is set by the dollar. So dealing with European players, it's like, well, my prices that weekend are in yen. My buy prices and sale prices are both in yen. Uh, so they, they're like converting yen to dollar and then dollar to euro. And it's like, well, how, how much is my card really worth? Or do I, do I want to buy these here? I don't. So that, that was, um, an interesting dynamic that I wasn't exactly expecting when I was going on the trip. I was expecting, you know, a, a lot of just 80 to 1, 100 to 1, 75 to 1, you know, conversion for, uh, for, uh, yen to dollar stuff. So that, that was, that was interesting. Did you get to go step away from the booth a little bit? The only matches I got to watch were early, earlier on in the um, in the week weekend, I guess. Uh, the day one, you know, wasn't as busy at our booth, so I was able to see Luis's early feature match against Rob Doherty, which didn't actually end up getting featured on the website, probably because Rob Doherty played like a idiot and didn't realize that Blade Spicer gave Gollum's first strike, so Luis just murdered him in combat one time, and. Um, then I got to hear about Connolly, the round he got knocked out, being uh, destroyed by a player who happened to have the exact same mulligan to six hand each time before he was later found out to be cheating, but after the opportunity for Connolly's uh, match results to be overturned. So he was extraordinarily frustrated, knocked out of, out of the entire tournament by uh, someone that ended up getting caught cheating. Oh, nice. But, you know, by the end of the weekend, you know, a lot of people, even in Japan, they want to pay for their trips. So they're, they're, they're visiting our booth to barter, you know, buy, sell, trade, you know, and make sure that those dual lands and moxes and mana drains and moats that they walked by for three days at our booth, they can pick them up before they before we all leave. Uh, so it was, you know, heavy commerce at the end of the trip, and I didn't get to see nearly as much of the action. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, day one, I got to kind of make the ride with all the other guys standing around being like, okay, well, you know, where are you at? Where are you at? And... It was funny, so much of Team Fireball was uh, unfortunately two and three going into the draft that um, there was a lot of joking about it was going to be like one of the most stacked draft pods ever. You know, you're looking at uh, Reitzel, Sperling, Connolly, um, gosh, I think uh, Brad, Kibler. And there's a ton of ton of like high level players sitting on like two wins, three losses of the draft portion. And, and it was, you know, it was a little more than joking. It was very serious. We were like, you know, you can sit down with five or six of these guys at your, at your pod. Um, so that that was interesting to watch. But I didn't, I didn't get to really have the players much more beyond that. I mean, there was obviously the rush in the morning where it's like, all right, this is what we're committing to for the deck. We need as many copies of Heroes Blade Holds we can get our hands on. But uh, that's no different from a Grand Prix or a Pro Tour. You got on Rich Hagen interview with you with his podcast. I did. I talked to um, I talked to a lot of the. See, we were there very early on Thursday, so I talked to a lot of the designers, um, Rich and, and Brian. I hung out with them for a while. I was I was hoping to sneak my way onto coverage a little bit more. I mean, I, I I'm glad that Rich gave me a nod one way or another. But I was like, I'm going to get on that. You know, I'm going to talk about something. I'm going to get on that damn stage. But they wouldn't let me talk about their commander product because they were all too excited to sling it themselves. And I knew just as much about block as the rest of them, as you could tell from their previews that you have watched as uh, everyone is scrambling for cards. But, yes, I I did get my, my chance to be on, on Rich's program this time around. I'll set my bar higher next time. But, obviously, we have some other news that's been going on. We have bannings now coming out. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, you're the public in this one. What do you think about these bannings, Robert? I don't think they should have banned Jace. It's $80, and I realize that every deck had them. But there were ways of defeating it. Stoneforge Mystic, once it got in and got the equipment, you were 
pretty much out of luck. I agree with the Stoneforge. I don't really agree with Chase. You know, in, in many ways, especially when I first read it, I agreed with you completely. You know, I was like, there are plenty of tools out there to fight that card. You know, we've been playing against it for so long. Why bother? But I, I really think Aaron Forsyth's comments put it in perspective for me, and it was one of those things where it was like, you know, if we're going to go and, you know, make it official, we're going to cons- make a concede here, and we're going to ban something, let's, you know, let's go all the way with it. Let's really reopen this format. And I think that by doing that, you've accomplished something far better than not making the concession on Jace and being like, you know what, just live with it. This card's fine. You know, we're not going to admit defeat on it, and you're going to play with it. I think that you really open up the standard environment so much more to so many more decks, to so many more players out there to want to play decks by taking Jace out as well. Um, and ultimately, to me, that's that's the bigger picture here. Um, you know, so many people rumbling about, you know, oh, it, this card's too powerful, or this card's too powerful, or these cards together are too powerful. And, you know, going into the bannings, I didn't feel like the cards in question were too powerful, quote-unquote, and that was going to be, you know, what determined um, a ban, because I think if it was purely on power level, I think we would have just, you know, rode the wave out for the next number of weeks until the standard environment changed. And I think really what was key in this decision and what made the shift happen was tournament attendance drop-off across the board. And that's, you know, something that I could see in... um, in kind of a smaller, you know, picture. I, I don't see it on the big scale like Wizards get to, and, and that's really what makes a lot of people, you know, they make their snap reactions, and they don't really think about this thing that they got to see, and over time you really have to understand, which is attendance is just down across the board. From Friday Night Magic up through every event, um, people just aren't playing because they, they don't want to play Magic, and that is the number one reason to make a change for something. And I think that by removing Jace and Stoneforge, you are taking the you know the, the best step possible to bring the most people back to playing it. It makes sense to me. It makes sense to everyone I talk to about it. I mean, so many people are are more excited to you know go back to FNM and play their fun their fun decks, their you know, fun competitive decks, whatever they were thought was on the outside. And you just I just couldn't play it. You know, I could, couldn't play it. It wasn't going to win. Like I want to play Birthing Pod so bad, but I just I don't think I could win with it. I like, I want to play Elves so bad, but I don't think I could win with it. Um, I think that that's really the the biggest issue. And if if I had you know looked been able to look at the picture the way they were able to look at it, it would it would it would seem obvious to me at that point. And now it seems obvious to me at this point, being able to see that that and just you know looking back at all my experiences in the past few months at events where you know, I was I was perfectly content to not play a single PTQ this season. I was perfectly happy to just man the booth and buy and sell cards. And you know now it's like well I'm excited to deck build too. Like I want to get you know back of the ring and and play with cards that had just been dismissed because they weren't going to be able to combat with these other cards. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I think ultimately it was the right decision. It was a good decision. Um, but you, you, the important thing to me is understanding why it happened the way it happened. Like, I don't, I don't think everyone should run around being like, Soulboard Mystic is too good of a magic card. It's overpowered, and that's why they banned it. I, I think that just that word or that phrase, overpowered, is, is not appropriate for this banning, and uh, you got to put it in perspective. What it did is it immediately killed off Cobblade. And it was interesting to see how many people were like, well, now what do I do? I have four Jaces or eight. Like, a friend of mine has eight Jaces. He's like, you know, I, uh, I, I, you know, I had a moment where I felt that similar way. Because I think there's so many Magic players where it's like the bubble is just going to burst on, on this card one day, one day. But it's like, I don't want to sell them now. I want to play another tournament. I want to play next week. I want to play in this PTQ. I want to play in this premiere event. I, I don't want to sell them yet. I don't want to sell them yet. Um, 
you know, I think between digital Jaces and real life Jaces, um, and the communal cards between the, my friends and roommates and myself that we own, we have more than 16 of them. I mean, and I guess counting like cube and commander cards probably have like closer to 19. Um, and so it's like, oh no, did I just, you know, lose my house payment, my car payments on, on my Jaces that I'm sitting on? And it's like, no, I don't think it's that bad. I think it's actually, this is actually, you know, Talking about picking up junk bonds and the markets of cards, now is a great time to actually buy Jace because everyone thinks it's worthless. And what they don't, you know, what some people don't realize is it's it's just Tarmogoyf. It's just a card that's exceptionally good in the formats that it is legal, and that's more, the number of formats where it's legal is far exceeding the number where it's not legal. So pick them up. You're going to be able to play with them. They're still going to be good. I mean, sure, they're not going to carry the $100 price tag that they once did because they were legal in every format, including the most popular, most played format. But to me, there's no reason this isn't a $60, $70 Mythic Rare. I mean, look at Tarmogoyf. It's the best example. And that card is only a rare. There isn't, you know, uh, another rarity uh, disparity there. It's just a rare card. Here you are looking at a Mythic Rare card. And despite, you know, the great Jace Chase that was people opening up every single pack of World Wake they could find and there being you know, fewer sealed boxes still sitting around, this card is still going to be rare. It's still going to be playable. It's still going to be powerful. So anyone that's, you know, selling them for sub $30, it's like it's an instant pickup. Talk to some local retailers around here. Literally, people are selling them to them for 20 bucks. Yeah. I, I, will, buy, I will buy all of them. My, my email address <laughs> is, in, is included in this show. Contact me, please. I will arrange, you know, PayPal, personal check, meet you in person, whatever you want. I will buy every last Jason Mind Sculptor. $20, no problem. Uh, again, this, this is the week. So, you know, if you're, if you're scared that this guy is going to be just worth the cardboard it's printed on July 1st, worry not. Um, again, you know, if, it's funny. Right as it happened, you know, most of the major websites were actually sold out of Jace at, you know, $55, $60. Um, and you'd think, you know, what card could get banned and then be sold out of on all the major websites? I think a lot of people were like, well, you know, they made an initial dip in price, and a lot of smart people, especially for older formats, just scooped them up and was like, well, this card still has value. Do you think it could ever be banned in Legacy? I don't know that format well enough to probably make an accurate, you know, a, a confident answer, I think, is is what I feel like. Um, I want to say no. But then again, you know, we agreed that we didn't think it would need to be banned in Standard either. So, you know, I... I um, <laughs> I mean, Luis and I have joked in the past that I think it's, it's more appropriate to ban it in vintage than it is in like extended modern or extended modern or legacy. Um, it's a you know nothing nothing wants to interact with it or kill it in, in vintage, where those other formats things will interact with it and kill it. I'll be interested to see what the new modern format does with Jace that affects it, which which again would drive up the value if that becomes what it is. If that modern format is truly what the next instead of extended formats call, I don't even think modern needs to do it. I mean, obviously, some kind of extended esque, you know, iteration of Magic will be I don't know popularized, not necessarily popular by the people, but it'll be playable, and obviously that card will be good in that format. Again, I mean, as soon as you stop to think about it for more than five seconds, it's like Jace is still going to be a very powerful, very playable, very expensive Magic card, just because it's 
can't turn into Benjamin Franklin every time you feel like you don't want to play with it anymore does not mean it's still not a very valuable card. And see there, I was hoping to pick them up for $20 each, and now you've ruined my dreams. Well, I'll sell you some for maybe 25 or 30 because you're such a nice guy and you're my friend. But, again, my it's all of them, right to my email. It sounds great. Is I really liked how the reaction to it was. And this week I'm really looking forward to hearing what, reading the articles and hearing what the shows say about it, just because it was the topic that people were kind of mumbling about on the side for the last two months. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? And then they do something, and the same people that were complaining about wanting it gone seem to be the same people going, saying, why is it gone? Uh, I mean, I'm still surprised at how much people put value on the potential banning. I think that other than the financial impact... It's whatever. I'm, I'm going to play Magic. You know, if they take away all the cards except for white weenie cards or all the cards except for the ones that, you know, include green mana symbols, it's like, still going to play the game. It's just, I, th- I think the people, you know, they, they they put so much energy into thinking about it. It kind, of, it kind of blows my mind. And so many people, like, you know, to me, it's just like everyone's going to get up on their soapbox after the fact and be like, I, I was right. I called this forever ago. I knew this card was too powerful. Ah, blah, blah, blah. Like, Whatever, just go build a deck. Fellow Monday Night Magic podcaster Jack LaCroix said is, we got a solution to solve all those problems. Just ban basic lands. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell that to me. I'm the guy that wants them to reprint Wasteland in the the next expansion. I I think that would be a great idea. They're saying that one of the future, you know, counterspell type things would actually be counterspell. So, I don't know. It's just something that was out there, and it was a thought that I heard and read and figured I'd bounce that off of you. Most things in Magic shouldn't be gone forever. Um, you know, especially you know, mechanics that worked, cards that worked in one way or another. Um, I think it would be easier to work with them than to abolish them. Um, and, you know, Mark Rosewater has said many times that, you know, people, a lot of people get tricked into thinking things are new all the time, when really all you're kind of do is raising and lowering different levels, so it, it feels like something is more powerful or more exciting and the best at one particular time than something else. And I could definitely see some future iteration of the Blue Mage that involves actual Counterspell. Um, you know, what what aggressive cards might look like at that time, what, you know, anti-counter-magic type effects or things that may punish you for playing cards like that, when that happens, who knows? Um, but I don't think it's going to be gone forever. I, I, just, I don't think that time's right now. Speaking of M12... We have M12 and thoughts on it so far. Have there been any particular cards that have caught your eye? Yes and no. I like the new Mage Cycle with all their activated abilities. I think that um, just kind of touching on the fact that cards like Oromancer are coming back, it's just like, oh, well, they're going to, you know, our enchantment's going to matter more in, in this set and future sets. I mean, we just had, you know, Artifacts Matter kind of with Mirrodin Block coming back and, it would be, you know, that that seems like a very kind of semi-vanilla kind of feel that you could kind of bring back to a corset. I think that, you know, one of the biggest challenges with producing a corset every year and changing it as much as you do now is playability, especially for limited. I mean, you're going to make all the pros and a lot of these Grand Prix players have a Magic 2012 Grand Prix or a Magic 2012, you know, Nationals Limited or even, you know, who even knows, a Pro Tour at some point, you know, one way or another with a, with a core set. So playability, especially at the highest level, is a big deal. And being able to design 
and print cards that new players can grasp, but at the same time make interesting for competitive players and, you know, have there be strategies, interactions, card choices, and draft limited sealed, you know, it, it seems like a daunting task, and then to do it every year. So, you know, finding subtle ways to make it work, to kind of change things, um, again, like making it feel the same but different, making there be new things that still kind of feel like they relate to the old things. Um, I really like how already in the kind of the blue cards you've seen from this limited set, I mean, we get Bell Tower Sphinx back, and you immediately start to think, well, I remember Triple Ravnica Limited. I, I remember drafting the, the Mill deck in Limited. I mean, there's already kind of a, a Lore Broker-esque card for blue as well in the uh, spoiler um, the... The, I can't find it. This is the, the merfolk that, you know, it millstones a, a player. Like, that was going to be, I assume, more things like that. And there might be, you know, a limited, stra- a full-blown strategy that, you know, involves milling. I mean, in M11, you know, like, oh, I'm going to get all the Jace's erasures, and I'm going to get, you know, so-and-so, and I'm going to mill you out, and I'm going to, you know, oh, I opened a traumatize, I'm going to go for it kind of thing. But it wasn't like Ravnica Limited where that was, you know, actually a viable strategy. And it would be... Not only incredible to see that this year for the core set, but that you know that kind of ability to adjust flavors and strategies for for future core sets, keep it lively, keep it new, keep it engaging, entertaining. But at the same time, this is the hardest part: keep it simple enough that you can get new players to be able to enter the game with this set. Um, and so far, this set looks like it's it's um, meeting those standards, and we've we've seen like a third of it, and a lot of them are commons and uncommons. So. My uh, my hopes are still high. My I like the like the uh, <clears throat> the illusion theme, the illusion lord. I like how blues lords are kind of the cheapest. Um, you know, bloodthirst being on black and being vampire driven is obviously very cute as well. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. I, I think that um, you know so far the flavor of the set is good. The goblins are new and exciting. We even get goblin grenade, which I think people out there are going to be excited about when they start talking about it more. Even the, the volcanic dragon, I'm excited about. So, see how so far it looks good to me. Yeah, the one card that I immediately saw that would go in a red deck win strategy is Chandra's Phoenix, the two-two flying haste, and you can bring it back from your graveyard to the hand if you play deal dealt damage by a red instant or sorcery or planeswalker you control. I'm thinking, boy, oh, talk about recycling a card and having evasion with haste is a really good thing. I, I mean, I, obviously, you know, to be able to extrapolate on the whole, you know, we're, we're, we're making more common references to Planeswalkers. Um, you know, you saw that with the Commander product and, uh, you know, the the Vows. And again, we saw that with Phoenix. I'm interested to see what direction that goes. I think it's very interesting that for um, Limited, for M12, we have Shock and Incinerate, and Fling, kind of all at common. You also, oh, and Chandra's Outrage, all at common. And you also have Fireball and Goblin Grenade so far at uncommon. It seems like there's a there's a good amount of burn to be had for uh, for the red decks. It should make drafting a lot of fun. Normally, feasibility and draftability of core sets, to actually be able to have a red strategy and not feel like you're going to be stuck if you get the right cards. I mean, there's so many useful red burn spells, like you said. And and honestly, you can't, you combine the goblin grenade with any goblin, and you're already one-fourth of the way to victory. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, <clears throat> it makes me think of a 7th edition limited, where 
kind of like red damage spells were very prevalent. You had lightning blast and shock both at common. And just having, you know, two burn spells that are efficient at the common spot, as opposed to just like just having lightning bolts goes a really long way for limited. Um, you know, previous iterations of corsets, you know, maybe red's creatures were abysmal and that's kind of all they had going for them. And so it was just as playable as any other color, but um, it could be really dangerous. If all of a sudden you have a lot of, you know, even like, you know, hill giant all of a sudden becomes a real big threat when your deck is is full of uh, Lightning Bolt-esque effects. A lot of fascinating cards in here. One they brought back is Acidic Slime. It's just been one of my favorite cards, period, to be able to come out and destroy a piece of trouble that's in your way right away. Always right on the edge of constructed playability. Uh, Yeah, I really like this card a lot, too. I mean, I'm a big land destruction fan. I'm a big, you know, anyone that cubes a lot is a big fan of, like, 187-esque creatures, something that comes into play and... And does something positive for you, and then sticks around as a body. Uh, you know, Death Touch kind of goes above and beyond that as well. And yeah, it's a very versatile card. And again, like you know, designed specifically for a core set, but look at the kind of implications it has. That I've seen so far is the lack of equipment, except for the potential, the one that was promoted, the Lightning Greaves. But otherwise, the other equipment. You know, to me. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, standard right now kind of gives you a good idea of what happens when equipment goes wrong or, you know, is too good. What what happens? I, I think that um, I, I'm a big fan of, like, looking at magic kind of, you know, through fantasy lore. And I like cards like Greatsword and Kite Shield just kind of based on, you know, those are the things I expect. I mean, I remember playing, uh, you know, Hero Quest as a kid, and, like, you know, you could buy a broadsword, you could buy, you know, various size shields, and and in Magic, I think that in the core set, I would want to promote those kind of feelings and those kind of elements. You know, looking at it from a competitive player standpoint and someone that, you know, plays the game as long as I have, it's like, oh, kite shield, geez, this is just a strict downgrade on a quarter shield. This is terrible. But, you know, the other part of me is like, oh, I get the flavor, I get the feel of it. You know, if, if I was a new player and I was picking this up, like, it makes sense to me. Like, sure, you know, this item doesn't cost me a lot of resources to get, but it's, you know, kind of hard to pick up. It takes resources to do that, you know, for the sword and the shield. Um, so I think those kind of flavor things can be very beneficial, despite the fact that it's, you know, oh, maybe it's just a really bad card. Who knows? I think another fun one in that same genre about having how it works with the core set is Manolith, the one where it's three and then you can tap it for any color. Yeah, the old Darksteel ingot that uh, that can actually get destroyed. It, it seems like a card that um, could have been printed a long time ago. It actually kind of reminds me of Soul Grail from Alliances. It was like, was, was this, is this too powerful? Is this like, could you not have given this this earlier? I think it fits perfectly in for what they're trying to do with the core set. I just wonder if someone's already coming up with an idea how to make Quicksilver Amulet work, though. Quicksilver mm-hmm. Amulet is actually a, uh, a reprint from Urza's Legacy, and in many ways it's about time, because this was a, uh, a... Well, it has been, for what seems like, as long as it has been printed, a very popular card that uh, yet, um, sadly is now dropping in value for the old ones that used to be worth a lot for casual players. I like the new artwork. Uh, I like what it does, the kind of the colorless... Elvish Piper, so I'm glad to see it come back. It'll it'll kill the value on all everyone sitting on their Urza's Legacy ones, but now new generations of players get to think of all the exciting things they can put into play. A lot of fun ones. There's some classic cards in there I like. I always have liked Pacifism 
just been a fun card to use as a defensive tool. And then the one I instantly saw, and I thought of Webb right away, was Gideon's Lawkeeper, where you pay a white and tap target creature. I just picture him drafting that card. Like first, not, first looking at it all day long, you mean? Yeah, just to be able to control a little aspect of the game by just using a bat and one white mana. And it should be interesting, because you, if you combine that with Gideon's Avenger, you can pump that thing up while actually doing something to help control the game. Well, yes, you get, you, again, you get another one of those um, kind of flavors you got from M11 where, you know, the Planeswalkers are the all-stars, they're the faces of the game, and you want to kind of build cards around them that, uh, you know, have that kind of connected flavor. And, you know, Johnny's Mantra, Johnny's Primated, Johnny Goldmane, and here we've got Gideon's Lawkeeper, some, some uncommon card I'd like to see somewhere in the middle. Gideon's Avenger, Gideon Jura. So you, you get that another year. How quickly can I have the whole set so I can start brewing already? Well, that, that's good. That's exactly what you want from a core set because it's as much as it's geared towards newer players, casual players, if you can get the, the guys sitting at home being like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to make my new FNM deck with as many of these new M12 cards as I get my hands on, then you're doing the right job. We have commander cards, and everything's been released, and it's out, and it's being sold. And Were you able to get your copy for less than $250? I just got. I, I was unable to get any. You, no no oh. commander decks for you, Robert? No, 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 no. I would look to get individual cards from that. So you don't, you don't play that format that much? No, I have one deck that was designed for me by a friend of mine, and if you ask me, I'd rather play Cube. I mean, I... Again, I'm the wrong person to have this conversation with. Uh, I'm, I'm so used to you know the Monday Night Magic crowd, the, a lot of people that inhabit our storefront, where it's like this is this is their bread, their butter, their water, their everything that sustains them is this is this format, and it's not for me. Um, but I, I I really think this is a home run of a product, and I, I've said it pretty much every arena and forum that I have. I you know I'm I, I'm not a product shill. I'm not trying to tell you to go buy stuff, but you know, I, I picked up this set, I took the few cube cards out of it that I wanted to, and then I was able to immediately sell and or trade away all the other gems in there. I mean, everything that's reprinted is very playable in all these formats. There's even more, you know, cube cards in there for people who are just building cubes with all the signets and bounce lands and playable rares and mana fixing and, you know, just, just good cards in these box sets. And, and fear not as well. Like, it's not going to sit with that $250 price tag for a while. Um, I, you know, I have it on good authority that they're going to be pushing this product out in many waves and a lot of it. So it's going to be accessible. It's going to be something that everyone can get. Um, and again, I, I feel I was so out of the loop. I was in Japan when like the last few spoilers were coming out. So I didn't get to really kind of catch all of the, uh, fervor over the, the, like the new force spike for the whole stack with storm and the, the fun and excitement that is chaos warp. Um, and these, these cards have real value, which goes a long way. Again, having a, a kind of a, a box set that has new cards in it is also kind of new ground for, um, for the product. So it's, it's, that's really exciting. I think that, you know, I, I almost don't know what to say. Like, if you don't play Commander, I don't know if you should buy it, but it seems like there are some singles in there you, you might want to have for other formats. I saw that as the Timmy and me excited was Demonia Sage of Stone where you skip your draw step. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had a lot of fun of that with that uh, playing cube the first weekend, or last weekend, I guess, where the product came out. There was, there was definitely somebody that drafted a deck and then had to be like, okay, I kind of have to stop playing cards. 
because uh, I'm going to run out of my deck real soon. And there's a lot of fun cards in here that just... I've always been a big fan of Soul Ring, and I was so happy that be about that. Because Lightning Grease is one of my favorite cards, too. And, I mean, the other one I thought was fun, I have to figure out how to work this card is the Omnivore, where it deals an opponent and deals that damage, much damage to each other opponent. That's just a fun card. Yeah, the um, I, I like those kind of, like... Um you know, innocuous multiplayer cards, like cards that you could play them in, uh, you know, one-on-one magic, and it it doesn't feel like it's terrible because you're not in a multiplayer game, but at the same time, like, it gets really kind of sweeping effects. It reminds me a lot of, like, Blatant Thievery from Onslaught. Like, you'd play it limited, it would be really good, but all of a sudden you sit down at a six-man table and that card just gets out of control. It was a really nice thing that they did with this. I'm really excited how they built this out there. And it's nice because now people that don't play Commander like myself could purchase one of these and sit down at a table with people who do have their own decks and not feel like I'm going to get squished. Well, you know, it, again, like release weekend and this kind of time where not you know, not all the uh, dedicated Commander players have merged all their singles with their older decks, it, w- it was kind of fun to um, just take kind of a pre-con more or less and sit down against somebody with a formally established Commander format deck and uh, feel like, you know, you weren't being completely crushed, and you were, you had some great tools at your disposal. I mean, I only played with kind of the um, pre-cons from this set a couple of times, but they they felt like they had reach, they felt like they had depth, they felt like they had cool interactions. I definitely think that, um, you know, a lot of time, energy, and thought was put into making these products, and uh, again, it's a home run. Like it's it's got to be the best release for Magic in a very, very long time. I've had contradictory opinion on if you think they're going to continue supporting this. Now, you say they are? Oh, without a doubt. I don't think, I I don't know who in their right mind thinks that this is a one-shot deal and they're going to be done with it. Um, The sales of this product right out of the gate demands that they bring more support for it, and they don't even need that. Uh, I mean, the the EDH, the commander format, is the counter-strike of Magic the Gathering. It was created by the people, supported by the people, Again, nurtured and brought to fruition by the people. It's what they've wanted. Then you send it to the development team on the, you know, the make cards side of the game, and they get, they deliver. They give the people what they want. I mean, sure, they put a price tag on it because that's what they do, but you're, you're getting, you're getting that. You're, you're being delivered what you were hoping for, and there's only going to be more. Okay, well, good. I'm glad to hear that because I heard from different places that this could be treated a lot like the plane chase stuff was. And I was hoping that wasn't going to happen. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think it's going to be it's going to be treated like plane chase or arch enemy in the in the feeling that it's going to be printed a lot. Like you're going to be able to get these sets. Like it's not going to be a one-time printing and then there's no more arch enemy. Or sorry, no more commander. The, the difference is that those products did not have a very great success rate. Um, especially plane chase. I mean, I Again, I, I bitch about how bad that product was a lot and how it seemed like it could have been an easy fix. This product does not suffer from any of those problems. And, and again, like you have the extra boon of having new cards, unique cards that are tournament playable in these box sets. I mean, how different would the world be if they had done the same thing for Plane Chase and Arch Enemy? It's definitely nice to see Commander being supported because... Most places that I see, when you walk in, if it's before a standard tournament or a draft, they're out playing Commander. They're still sneaking games of Commander in. 
Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. I can, many a time, you're standing around in the morning, and it's like, Commander, Commander, you got, or sorry, EDH, you got an EDH deck? You guys want to play EDH? And I'll sit down and sit in a circle and play or whatever, and it's not my style, but, you know, I, I definitely understand it. Well, we do have a cute question this week, and I was asked by a friend of mine, because he's putting his cube together, and he said, how many of the Phyrexian mana symbol cards should you add to your cube? Um, I think that you can treat them in many ways the exact same way you would treat them in uh, Scars, Mirrored, and Block Limited right now. Um, you know, if, if it's a card you're going to play eight times or better out of ten, regardless of what color you're going to be in, it's probably pretty good. Um, it's pretty easy to evaluate those cards on raw power level. Um, Luis and I, I think we did a show on Magic TV where we talked about Phyrexian mana cards and how that kind of changed the limited format. It's like, Cataxian Probe is a great example. It's a good card. Is it a card that I'm going to play in my red-white aggressive deck in Scars Limited? Maybe, but probably not. Um, you know, on the other hand, Dismember, always going to play it. Active Aggression, always going to play it. Uh, Molten Steel Dragon, probably going to play it. Um, you know, obviously removal is a lot easier than threats because, you know, removal stops you from losing life over the long run, so it's worth the life investment. You know, if it's like if I can kill two guys with active aggression, it's worth the four life I paid instead of taking seven damage from combat or something. Where Molten Steel Dragon is, could, could be skewed as slightly different. But, um, I did not, you know, limit myself in the cards that I put in. I definitely just kind of weighed them all in a limited sense and, uh, I, I don't remember offhand. I could probably pull up which ones I put in, but like, you know, they're, they're, a lot of them are pretty obvious. This kind of stuff that you know, you're, you're going to want to have in cube, and I don't know if you break it down by color or not. I mean, I guess that's kind of a one of the questions you can ask yourself. Like, will you could you consider them colorless cards? You consider them colored cards? Um, how do you make the distinction? But uh, you know, it's like porcelain legionnaire. Put that in there. Um, mutagenic growth, noxious revival, dismember, Tezzeret's gambit. Yeah, there's lots of options. It's just that when he came to me and asked, and I'm like, I started flipping through the cards that were there. Well, you have a good handful of them you could put in. What are you looking to exchange for? A lot of the ones that did the same thing, but with a mana symbol, were removed in exchange for these. Like the Tezzeret's gambit, he removed another card that did the same thing but it had the blue mana symbol attached to it. But we also have the deck of the week, and how ironic it's the deck that Luis played at Pro Tour Tournament. Well, no more Stoneforge Mystics, no more Jaces for Standard. It's time to start brewing. And on top of that, you know, Block is kind of the um, the first barometer for what Standard is going to look like in the coming year. So pick up those Heroes of Bladehold, think about picking up some Pure Steel Paladins, some Blade Splicers, some Consecrated Sphinx, some other... All stars from the the block pro tour that we saw just recently, and and sure enough, with uh, a few tweaks to this list you're looking at, you have a very competitive standard deck. Um, again, the community cup lists. Uh, one of the players on the community side also played a pure steel paladin um, and a tempered seal deck. Both of those were in the um, standards portion of the community cup. So there you go. They're standard playable. I like the fact of the mutant genetic growths put in there. And obviously dismember because dismember is just. Well, Luis will be the first person to tell you that the um, Eugenic Gross in the sideboard was a Connolly Woods contribution. 
uh, as much as he usually does not play the team deck and usually does something wacky off the wall and sometimes hardly forgivable, uh, he was the person that advocated putting that on their board. And during playtesting, the first time Hero Bladehold survived Dismember, thanks to mutagenic growth, Luis was pretty sold on the whole idea. Funny thing was when Conley decided to play Pawblade, that was the immediate call for banning for both of those cards because right. Conley would never play that deck. Stole that from Owen, I see. Yes, I did, and I thought that was hysterical when I saw that. I'm like... Yeah, you know your cards are too good when the people that spend all their time trying to come up with decks that don't play the best cards are still playing them. We have five up and five down this week. Not surprising what's on the down list, but on the up list we uh, have some interesting cards that we've been talking previously on the down list. Well, here's the thing. You know, the Sunday night, Monday morning, depending on where you are, when you wake up, or when you actually read the internets, um, you know, everything kind of shifted, and a lot of players out there felt like, you know, now is the time to build new decks. Now is the time to speculate on prices. Now is the time that all those cards that we've just been watching drop and drop in value because they couldn't battle, you know, Jason Mine Sculptor or Stoneforge Mystic. Are back up. I mean, we sold a ton of stuff this Sunday night, Monday morning for that exact reason. And so prices are going back up on a lot of standard cards. Like, I, I'd always kind of hope they would. I mean, you know, another kind of one of those innocuous things I didn't notice, you know, pre-bannings was that the vast majority of standard cards just didn't have any value because they weren't really playable. But uh, they're, they're, back, they're back on their way up, which is good for pretty much everybody. Well, let's start with the first one, Fauna Shaman. Um, you know, Birthing Pods, Big Sister, Little Sister, I don't know how they, exactly they're related, but um, people are real excited to be putting this card back into decks. There's, you know, more sets, more tools, more options. You know, if, if you think of Stoneforge Mystic as kind of the mother of all equipment tutors and, um, you know, having a toolbox, so, uh, Fauna Shaman is in very much the way for creatures, so she's coming back. Three out of the five Titans, Frost, Inferno, and Primeval. All previously in competitive decks pre-Worlds, all, I wouldn't say pillars, but definitely threats from previous competitive decks and previous standard environments are all back. Um, they're back on the rise. Conveniently enough, those are your Duel of the Planeswalkers promo cards for anyone who um, has downloaded that program, so you'll be getting a sweet copy of one of those, uh, which helps you out as well, and I thought that was pretty ironic. But all three of those guys are on the up right now. I was happy to get the Inferno Titan for the PS3 version. So. Wow, you are you one of the, the rare few that, uh, that I know of that went to the, the PlayStation Network route for that product. Yeah, I had been talked to from people to want to do Steam because you could play it online with a lot of people you know, but there's just something about having it on the PS3 that makes me happy. I'm not sure what that is, but all right. We have Baneslayer Angel. Where has this card come from? Uh, it comes from a little set called Magic 2010, and yeah. then it was uh, reprinted in Magic 2011. Uh, again, there's so much room for for new deck building out there. Baneslayer Angel is one of those cards where it's like people are like, hey, this card has been good. Hey, it is good. Maybe I can put it in a deck now. Huh. Interesting. Well, obviously, the next two make a ton of sense. Hero of Bladehold. Very much so. Um you know, Luis thinks it's going to be a competitive card in the time to come. Um, you know, if you talk to guys like uh, Paul Reitzel, who's obviously Boros through and through, you know, talking about how good it's going to be in that deck um, right now and then looking forward as well. So, uh, again, you know, if you can thank the Block PT for kind of giving people a better idea of the, the, 
strong, competitive, powerful cards for the year to come, and Hero is very high on that list. I don't think anyone could have been happier of the bannings than Paul because of the Voros deck now becoming <laughs> an option again, which was probably good for him. Yes, there there are definitely people like, well, it's the Boros deck ran Stoneforge Mystic 2, and I, he'll be the quickest to say, well, he doesn't, you know, does all this other stuff on its own, doesn't need that card. Caught the hammer. Big red, baby. Big red, little red, red all over the place. Um, not Again, not just for block. I mean, Mono Red was uh, one of the decks that was very popular out there in the field, and Koth was in those decks, but uh, again, standard without other Planeswalkers, this guy is making a comeback. Now the down ones, not surprising, a lot of equipment on our list here, Batterskull. Batterskull and all the swords from Scar's Block across the board, they've all dipped. Uh, Batterskull actually took the least beating, uh, haha, Luis pun intended, um, but, you know, they're, they're down, and it's to be expected. It's, now nothing really you can do anything about it, uh, you know, Body and Mind is like seven, eight dollar card now. Uh, War and Peace. The only reason that one's still kind of high is because there are just there are far fewer of them out there. Um, Feast and Famine is sub twenty dollars already, and that's the first time that card's been there since uh, Paris. So look for it to drop even further. It's pretty much the story on the swords. Well, obviously, we talked about Jason Stoneforge earlier. Both on the way down. Um, you know, Stoneforge Mystic has far more of a, a seller to hit than Jace does, in my opinion, and part of that has to do with the pre-cons, which a lot of people now feel like they're absolutely worthless, they're throwaway, you know, like stores will just break them down and sell the other singles out of them. Um, you know, I think on Monday, Channel Fireball was buying Stoneforge Mystics for $2 a piece. Um, yeah, and, you know, people scoff, but, you know, when you remember Worldwide came out, it was like a three fifty four dollars cards, and that's not really too far off the mark. Um... So, yeah, it's got a lot longer way it could fall. Obviously, Legacy playable. Obviously, Extended slash Modern, other format playable. This card is still worth holding on to. You don't have to dump it in the river with the rest of your islands and plains you can't play in the same decks anymore for now, but uh, it's it's dropping. And the card that when we were at Grand Prix Dallas-Fort Worth that we sold a, a foil set for, for a lot of money, Squadron Hawk. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was right before the FNM ones came out and kind of hit the foil market a little bit. And then, uh, you know, if they just took away Stoneford Mystic, it's like, oh, well, you can still kind of play the Kago decks from the Worlds era where, you know, you get so much card advantage out of Squadron Hawk, but really taking away Squadron Hawk's best friends in the form of Stoneford Mystic and the card advantage machine, Jace Blind Sculptor with that other card, it really just kind of made it a one one little flying machine for two that uh, probably is going to see a lot more stuff coming through the ground at people in the form of Hero Blade Hole in the future, and you probably won't see this card in, in uh, any lists. The last one kind of surprised me, Jace Bellerin. You know, this one, um, you know, I, I was quick to put it on the list originally, and I've kind of gone back and forth on it a little bit now. Um, I already kind of made these notes before we sat down. Um, you know, you need Jace to kill Jace was kind of the thing. Uh, Blue kind of takes a hit from losing Jace and Mind Sculptor, so I don't really know how the control decks are going to look in the future. I still think you can, you know, you can play Jace in blue-black, blue-white control, you know, Sun Titan interactions, just control removal decks in blue-black. But it's not, you know, it doesn't seem as important. It doesn't seem like, well, you know, I need to run six or seven Jaces because I need to be able to kill other Jaces. Again, it's, it's been such a long time since we've lived in a one-Jace world that... Uh, it's hard to think of what the landscape for blue decks will look like when there's only Jace Pellerin. 
Um, but he's, you know, going to take an initial hit just because, you know, he, he doesn't need to be battling the other Jace right now. And instead of being an $11 Mythic, he's, you know, $6, $7. Now, that's not to say you won't see... You know, I'm trying to think of a deck that's going to run a one, want to run for Jace Beller, and I just, you know, I, I can't think of one. So he's, he's taking a hit right now, but I, I think it's a card that, of all the ones on the way down, minus, like, Stoneforge Mystic, probably has the most potential to bounce back in value. Now that the pros are going to get a well-deserved break from the tremendous run most of them had for going for basically a month straight of non-stop magic and from Providence to Nagoya or Singapore then Kansas City it's been a tremendous run for these guys and I'm sure a lot of them are just happy to be back home you know I I only had to go through uh, part of that trip and it was um, you know with the flight changes and the number of flights and the different airports and all that stuff it was it's not an easy not an easy job. I mean, Tom Martell shared the most of those rerouted, canceled, now later, earlier, not flying to where you want to fly and somewhere else type stuff that we all got to go through. So, you know, I, I was the one who had to play a tournament the next, you know, a few days later or something like that. So to be able to um, keep your stuff together, find somewhere to do your laundry and uh, go out there and battle the next day is, uh, is not easy. And uh, a lot of people, you know, you don't you don't hear that side of the story all that often. I mean, obviously, the player of the year standings now have been shaken up dramatically. It's like in all Channel Fireball top. Well, yeah, it was kind of the case last year in a way. You know, it's, it was pretty competitive for our guys heading into the stretch run. So uh, I'm I'm excited, happy. You know, I wouldn't say I'm a proud parent because I'm <laughs> that's weird. Keeping the bar where it's already high for. Um, the site, the content it provides, and the players that associate themselves with it. So, I mean, that, that's all good stuff. I, I'm sure we've lost something in here. I mean, I could do a whole Duel of the Planeswalkers review for people, and I need to find a, a good forum in which to do that, because those people have been very nice to me. They keep giving me free codes for downloads and free sets of titans, so I should probably do them a service and uh, promote their product a little bit more, because I, I have been surprised how much I've enjoyed it. And I you know, I never played the first one. You know, magic video games—they're all terrible, that kind of thing. Like, I was—I'm not sugarcoating it that you know, I, Sony paid for me to spend a few days with them for their tactics product, and that was abysmal. And you know, Duel of the Planeswalkers does not suffer those problems. It's a, a good introductory player product. I was able to sit down with my fiance in front of our television and walk her through some of the steps and. You know, sure enough, she could play a game on her own shortly after and definitely got more concepts of magic than she had cared to get before. And I think that, you know, is one of the, the big things for that kind of product. You're reaching a new audience. Again, being in the Xbox marketplace top 10 for as long as you can is going to go a really long way. Um, you, know, you know, I recommend it to people. Pick it up, download it. I know it's only 800 Microsoft points where, you know, U.S. dollars, I have no idea what that is, but... Um, it is worth it for what you can get out of it. And uh, for you three people playing on the PlayStation Network, find Robert and play with him because I'm sure he needs friends. There's going to be another Magic Cruise. It's such a double-edged sword. Yes, there is going to be another Magic Cruise. And this time it's going to be promoted. And this time you're going to hear about the details. And this time you're going to be just as pissed as I am right now that you might not be able to go, but you need to go. For those of you that don't know, Zame 
He's our editor at Channel Fireball. He has gone on a couple magic cruises at this point. I have talked to him. Sam's a great guy anyway, and I've talked to him quite a bit. And after their last one, I was like, you know, I, I kept I kept going back and forth to them because he was telling me how great it was. The food was great. The environment was great. Just hanging out and doing as little or as much as you want was great. And then there's magic and magic players everywhere. And I kept going back and forth with them about the things I liked and the things I didn't like. And I was like, Zane, I'll tell you what. I was like, I don't want to go somewhere tropical. I don't want to go somewhere third worldish and have to get pesos. Like, I was like, if you can get the port of departure to be from Seattle and we can go up, you know, do kind of like the Alaska Northern Lights type thing, like, I'd be into that. And I was like, if you can, you know, like, Seattle's right where Wizards is. If you can get more of their people to come and not schedule a damn Grand Prix on the same weekend, like, I'd be all about these kind of things. And we, we kind of went back and forth about the idea for you know, what seemed like a couple months. And then he goes and just does it all by himself, doesn't let me know, and just comes back to me one day and is like, hey, you mind if we promote this on the website? And, uh, yeah, we're doing it. And I'm like, why couldn't you tell me earlier? Like, I'm getting married the week after this thing, so I can't really, like, afford to monetarily go on it and then miss two weeks of work in a row to go on it. And I have that conversation with him. And then he launches the website, makes the announcement, you know, like Louise and Chapin are the big stars. And then, you know, just today they announced that Richard Garfield's going to be on the cruise too. And there's no one I'd rather, you know, sit on a boat with and maybe get some magic games in with than the creator himself. So I'm really kicking myself. I got to find a way to get on this boat. His school will still be going on for my wife, for your kids, oh, and your- my kids. And it's hard for her to pull days off of work. I really want to go. Just because. I, I, see, that's, that's the thing that breaks my balls even more. Is everyone I talk to, especially like people like you, you're like, well, well, now I gotta go. Now I'm going. Well, I mean, aren't you going to go? And it's like by the by, you know, by the time November rolls around and the cutoff for deposits is, it's like everyone in the magic community I only get to see once or twice a year at events anyway is going to be on this thing. And how could I miss it? Zame immediately got. Luis and Chapin to go, I, that immediately brings up the it factor of who's going to be there. Be able to talk to Richard Garfield would be phenomenal. It would be just a fun time for all. And and like you said, you don't have to treat it like it's all magic all the time. You can literally go do stuff and then come back and play magic all night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I'll, I'll do Zane a little, I'll do him a favor, I'll do a little sales pitch for everyone. You know, while I haven't been on one of these things I've definitely kind of talked myself into it and enough conversations I've had with him about it. It's like, you know, what magic player doesn't like endless free quality food? I mean, 24-hour open buffet. What magic player doesn't like having, you know, your own kind of like cabin, your, you know, you feel like you're at summer camp or you're on vacation, being out on the water, especially again, my my cell to the Seattle area was like, well, it won't be like, you know, muggy humid tropical weather it won't be like disgustingly hot it'll probably be pretty decent weather out there um you know kind of alaska waters and on top of that you can play as much or as little magic as you want there's other things to do when you're with people that aren't magic players like for me it was like well i want to go with my fiance but you know she would murder me if i went and just played magic inside a room for five days straight but now I kind of, like, I get to have part of that feel, but at the same time, it's like, all right, I'll go to karaoke night, or, like, you know, I, I want to go do these other things. I want to see the sights. I want to go to port. I want to, you know, pick up some fresh cod or whatever the hell they do up there. Like, you know, those things sound entertaining. So to me, there's, like, there's no aspect of this that isn't a win-win. And, again, you get to do it with the people that you'd want to do it with, the, you know, magic designers, uh, enthusiasts, the people who are going to bring their cubes, their pimped-out commander decks, their... You know, their sealed products they were sitting on. Like, you know, if I if I went there, I'd want to do a, you know original Mirrodin draft. I want to do a Mirage 
sealed deck. Like, you know, we can get these things, we can make it happen, and, you know, there's no people or place I wouldn't want to, you know, have it happen with more. I just want to go somewhere, play some magic, hang out by the pool, eat some, you know, paid-for food around the clock as much as I can, and hang out with a bunch of people I want to hang out. Every person I talk to, it's like, you know, Zayn is already more organized He's got the site up. He's already, you know, kind of put one splashy thing on our website. He's he been tweeting about the fact they just got uh, Richard on board. You know, I, I, you know, if I get the chance to go, which I don't even know, I think I'm going to, I want, I want there to be a, a big magic presence. I want there, you know, I, I would hope that we could a, a kind of get to the point where there's 24-hour gaming. Um, you know, if it's, there's going to be enough people where it's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go cube at 4 in the morning. That's awesome. Like, let's watch the sun come up in Alaska. Like that, that would be spectacular for me. I just, I have to somehow work out how I'm going to manage to not only take two weeks off of work, but also find the money to just go on this thing because I, I don't see it happening with these wedding expenses happening. So I'm looking for sponsorships for anyone who wants to, uh, you know, cabin up for the magic cruise round four and also explain to, uh, my boss that it's a it's a good it's a good thing. My presence on this boat is gonna be great. I'm sure we'll we'll film at least one live magic TV. We'll we'll get in a few podcasts. It's it's well worth my time. Community building. Oh obviously. Yes. Obviously. I, I will build as much community as I can build on that. Thirty five minute or an hour interview with Richard Garfield will get tons and tons of downloads. I just want to play some magic with him. Like, you know, I've met him before at a couple of events. I've talked to him, you know, briefly. I mean not like at length. But I just, you know, to me, that's where I get my biggest thrills. I would just want to be like, all right, let's you know, let's Winston draft, or like you know, let's whatever format you want to play. I'll get the cards for it. We'll play it. You know, if you want to play alpha constructed deck format, you know, whatever you want to do, like that that would that would just be a thrill for me. It's definitely one of those places where, in a, a more casual environment, you can spend time with some really really quality people. Yeah, I mean, and you know, if you bug the shit out of them to play cards with you, which is my plan, you're you're captured on a boat with this person for five days. So there's only so many times they can turn you down. It's like, all right, we'll play. Fine. Like, all right, sweet. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd like to think for the again the what I, what I've literally found out is literally hundreds of people that listen to this. I, I will try to make up for the fact that we have been gone for as long as they have, and if there are loyal enough listeners to come back and listen to us spout off as much as long as we do. I actually, you know, I like to give one shout out to the the gentleman in uh, Nagoya that I met who was apparently an avid listener whose name I forgot. I was, you know, busy building a deck at the time. So we had a a lengthy conversation and I was just excited to hear that, you know, there's somebody, somebody commuting on a train in Japan right now that's listening to us talk. That's excellent. Hey, worldwide exposure. There you go. Be sure to email me. I, I apologize. I'll hit you back on the next show, but, uh, there you, there you go. We, we are literally heard other parts of the globe other than what I assumed was just California and part of Minnesota. Where can everybody be reached? You can follow me at Twitter at Tristan Gregson. You can find me um, at actually doing draft videos again on the website. So check out channelfireball.com for more of my content. And um, email me uh, your Jace sales inquiries as well as your um, cruise donation amounts <laughs> to me at tsg at channelfireball.com. I'm pretty sure if I just showed the uh, my boss that I have enough money to go that he would not um, stop me from taking a uh, two-week hiatus from work next summer so I can not only go on the Magic Cruise but also be able to get married and not murdered. Because uh, otherwise I'd be in big trouble if I went on that boat and did not get married. <laughs>
<laughs> well, you can reach me on Twitter under the Beanie, T-H-E-B-E-M-E, available at Robert at ChannelFireball.com. I do not buy Jason Mine Sculptures because I don't have the money currently for it, but one never knows. It's very... Hey, hey, it's worth taking a loan out. If you can get them for 20 a piece U.S., I mean, like... I gotta be able to pay for some of my crews with that money, right? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll get to my loan shark and get me some bills so I can get some $20 Jason. $20 that they were buying them for and people were selling them. It just blows me away. But we've had another fun-filled show. Obviously, um, the stories, there'll be more stories. Obviously, Magic TV will have tons and tons of information. We have we have one we have one good show this week. We, I think we're going to post three segments over the course of the weekend. Fingers crossed. I'm not the guy that gets to do that, but um, we have one really good one, and then two where Luis was kind of throwing it in because he was hungry. So uh, check that stuff out this weekend, and uh, hopefully we can you know make some Monday Night Magics, uh, make our own show in the coming weeks, and uh, bring you more of uh, my pleas for donations to go on the Magic Cruise. That's pretty much. Between now and the end of November, that is my new charge. They will definitely be wanting to talk about that because Tom obviously loves his unique and fascinating cards that Commander offers, and Chris had done some work with this already with the Duels of the Planeswalkers, so I got a feeling maybe next Monday not, may not be a bad time to talk about it. See, I, I expect both those guys to be on the Magic Cruise. I, I, I'm telling you. I mean, Chris, he'll find a way. Tom, I'm sure there's plenty of opportunities to play all of his funny decks. Will this be a big, we'll have an MTG cast event there while we're at it. Why not? And on that note, another episode of Hardcast. Until next time, I'm Robert. And I'm Tristan, listening to him slowly drag out this sign-off as long as possible. So until what I assume is going to be a week from now, but who knows, because if we continue this conversation, it could be in 20 minutes. <laughs> until then, good night, good morning, make sure you get off at your station, and so on and so forth. I'll talk to you guys later. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.